right. Thank you, John. Uh, thank you for having me again. Uh, the last time uh, I came out here uh, to open up God's Word with you guys, I was in John's backyard. Uh, it feels like a bit more spacious here. Uh, went looking for the toilet and about 14 rooms later found one. So uh, it's exciting to be here. Very first time in Minlington. Uh, my daughter insisted on coming out. I was very happy for the company out here. So thank you for uh, the invitation to come. Uh, we pray for this church at Anchor Church. Have a deep affinity uh, for you guys, a deep care for you guys. You might be aware of it, but we have some people uh, in our gathering, our congregation, who come from the York Peninsula who know this town very well. Uh, and so we have a particular uh, interest and, and, and hope and, and prayer life around uh, seeing this church grow. Uh, it's really wonderful to be here. Uh, John rang me and asked if there was uh, a psalm that I would be able to preach uh, and bring uh, to this church. Uh, and there was, because we were uh, my favourite psalm just happened, happens to be Psalm 73 for a number of reasons. Uh, and we were planning our series on Christian contentment in all circumstances. Uh, we take that from Philippians 4 where Paul, uh, in, in prison after a life of being beaten and stoned and rejected and all those things, uh, as he waits to be put to death, writes to the Philippian church, I have learned, so he learned, there's a process here, to be content or satisfied in all circumstances. And so we have a number of people really facing challenging circumstances uh, in life, in the port, uh, in our congregation as well. And we wanted to learn or take a few more steps on our journey in learning to be content in all circumstances. And, and so we identified a few areas we were going to centre in on. One of them was to be content in God's provision in our life. And that's where we went to Psalm 73, which has a lot to say about how to be content with our material goods. Uh, because a lot of us aren't. So there's a couple ends of the spectrum. Uh, one, I think, I may be wrong, not many people dwell at this end of the spectrum where I'm going to start. Uh, I had a friend call me from Brisbane who's done very well in a professional sports life. And he was built a house for himself on the top of a hill in one of the richest suburbs in Brisbane. And he'd gone to see it for the first time. And he sat down in the gutter opposite. And he's looking at it. And he rings me on his mobile phone. And he was deeply unhappy with it. And I'm like, why are you so unhappy with this gorgeous house with the heated pool and the stand-up spa baths and his own gym and all the rest of it? And he said, it's just too much. It's too good. What does it say about me as a child of God that I had this house? I'm embarrassed by it. And once I got over my urge to say my heart's breaking for you, mate, um, yeah, and I reflected that um, you know, uh, discontentment is not necessarily with our provision tied to an amount. So don't hear me today say how little or how much is the source of your discontentment. And we see this with Asaph today is... Uh, the source of your contentment with your goods. Uh, we look at the prodigal son. Uh, he runs off to, to, to squander what the father has given him. But the son who remains, the older one, is bitter over a goat, over a single like child goat that they've slaughtered. So uh, there's also this concept. Uh, with me in Bible college, uh, my wife and I, we went. Uh, we had three kids under two when we started. Uh, we had a house over our head. We never missed a meal. You might have guessed that already. Um, and we... Had everything we could possibly want. 
Uh, and yet we were quite bitter about how much money we had. Uh, we didn't have a lot. Somewhere we had absorbed, as in Bible college, uh, a certain expectation about what it meant to be content and comfortable in our life. And I think if we are living on a mission for God, as we are being hospitable and generous with one another, if we are seeking out building out what is good and opposing what is evil, uh, we will be less financially successful than we might have otherwise been. So in Psalm 73, uh, we're going to meet a man by the name of Asaph, who was a singer in the temple. And in very, from the very beginning, he's wrestling with these issues. Right? He is provided for. He has a roof over his head. He would have had his own dwelling in the area. He uh, was not a man without. Uh, but he is challenged by how wealthy the rich and evil people that are coming through the temple precinct are. That's the source of bitterness in his life. So he's writing our psalm today in response as he reflects upon this experience. This is a psalm from the wisdom genre of psalms, which means it is to teach us. It is to encourage us and it is to warn us. And it is a psalm that concludes that God is incomparably greater uh, than anything that we might otherwise desire. Uh, But Asaph does not start his journey there. Uh, To start this journey with Asaph, really, uh, we want to go back uh, to the father of lies where we absorb these ideas from and that is Satan. Uh, So I'm going to open up in prayer. We're going to go back to the garden together. Part of our series was to construct a a, a biblical worldview, right? Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. We want to understand how we fit our discontent with our provision in the world from God into that framework. So I'm going to pray uh, and then we will get into this together. So please join me. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we read in James that every good gift is from you. Lord, help us be content with the good gifts you have given us, Lord. Help us to not be moulded by and shaped by what we don't have, but rather what we do have. And supremely what we have is Jesus Christ in our life. We have your Holy Spirit indwelling us, Lord, and we have the hope of eternity with you. So, Father, we are richly provided for, beyond words provided for. So, Lord, help us uh, to see clearly Uh, to take great joy and to have your peace in our life around these things. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So yeah, in in kind of constructing our biblical worldview around this issue, uh, we're going to go back to Genesis and we see that uh, God places Adam and he places Eve into the middle of a garden. They had everything that they could possibly imagine wanting, right? This concept of lack for them that we experience and that Asaph experiences is not a component of their life. To ask Adam and Eve if they were content with their lot in life would have been a bizarre question for them. Kind of like asking a fish what it's like to be wet. You might have heard that saying before. They couldn't conceive of a reality where something wasn't theirs that they could see and should have, right? The, the, the vastness of the Siberian wilderness is waiting for them. The glory of, of the mountains, the forests, the, the, the oceans, all lay before them to enjoy and experience. And daily God walked with them. To If we had a, like hired, you know, John might be working on a time machine out, out in one of these rooms and we were to go back and we were to ask them, what is it like? Uh, are you happy? It would have been an utterly bizarre question for them. Uh, they, 
they, there was so much waiting for them. They had so much already in their life until they meet the snake in Genesis chapter 3, Satan. Satan was once the mightiest of God's angels, the most glorious of created beings. Uh, he rebels against God. He leads other angels into rebellion against God. This is the formation or the, the birth of the demonic. And behind this fall right, is Satan's desire, if we drill into it, to have what he couldn't have. We don't get a lot of a backstory here, but in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, we see God speaking to uh, Satan. He says, shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens. You destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That was Satan's mindset. I will make myself like God. So Satan rebels against God because he wants the things that only belong to to God, he wants to seize it, but rather he is thrown out of heaven and he becomes the twisted and bitter and evil creature he is today. He makes his way into the garden where Adam and Eve are perfectly content with God's provision and Satan engages Eve in conversation with this question. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? So this is the genesis of discontent. In the lives of God's people. Have you got everything you need as God's children? Or is he holding something back from you that is good and right and you should have? He draws our attention to what we don't have, not to what we do have. Let's pick it up, Genesis 3, 2. The woman says to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. If we look at Satan's strategy here, He's proposing there is something good, as we just said, that God has kept. Wouldn't you be happier if you have it? And it's at this moment, as we track through the story of Genesis, how that Eve looks at the tree differently. What was once just forbidden is now delightful in Eve's eyes. It's now desirable to have. And for the first time in creation, greed to possess what isn't ours enters into a human heart. Envy enters into the human heart. Discontent with the way things are enters into the human heart. Eve takes the apple, bites, and passes it to her husband to bite, and he does. And they, like Satan, but not, yeah, not exactly the same, are expelled from the garden, right? By desiring what is only belonging to God, sees them removed from the unmediated presence of God. And they lose the ultimate source of contentment in life the direct, unmediated presence of God. And now, I want to, as our backdrop, right, this is the human condition we're talking about. Listen to Asaph as he talks about his journey here in Psalm 73. He says, For I envied the arrogant, 
I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So a man perfectly content and provided for in service to God and with his community is now casting his eyes onto what is not his and into what is not good for him. And he says, they have it easy. They're well fed. They don't have trouble. They're not afflicted like other people. They're pride. They're violent. They're fat. Their imaginations of their hearts run wild. There's no limit to their corrupt desires that they seek to fulfill. They mock. They're malicious. They threaten. They seem to mock God. But where is God in all of this? They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. I is the lamp of the body, right? In Matthew 6. What we fill it with lights or darkens our soul. And if we're pursuing and, and gazing into the things that we should not be desiring, we will become broken and bitter. And you might be thinking, well, Asaph, uh, that is your story in the temple, but what has that got to do with us in Australia today, right? Uh, are you aware in 2019 in Australia, the advertising industry, industry is forecast to spend $17.2 billion? That's just in Australia, just this year, $17.2 billion. Uh, and what, are they, what is the first order that they are seeking to achieve in spending $17.2 billion? Is anyone familiar with the advertising industry much at all? Uh, the first order... The first priority that they are trying to achieve with that money is to make you discontent with what you have. It's the same narrative over and over again. If you are discontent with what you have, you will take what I'm offering. And they prayed before us, broken celebrities whose imaginations run wild, Seeking new ways, right, to satisfy ungodly urges, enormous sums of money, right? They create for us a standard of, like, a desirable standard of living. And the people of God, we're not immune to their influence. We're not immune to that. $17.2 billion spent making you discontent with every good and perfect gift your Father has given you. What is the effect of that on the people of God? Asaph gets angry and he says, "Did I? can you join him in this? Can you hear echoes of your own life in this? I, I reflect on that first six months in Bible college and I hear my voice in here and I, I repent of that. Asaph says, did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? I've been... I've absorbed an idea from really horrible places of what it means to be content in life. And then I get angry and I get bitter at God that I don't have the brokenness that broken people have as their joy. Has my self-righteousness been for nothing, God? Look at what they have compared to what I have. All the while, the, the voice whispering to us, surely God doesn't want you to miss out. Probably the most heartbreaking line uh, in, in Asaph's story in Psalm 73 is uh, when he records that uh, God's people flock to listen to them. 
God's people flock to listen to the ungodly, right? Their Instagram feeds filled with Kardashian stories, right? Or, yeah, or whatever it is that they're watching on TV, or whatever their social group at university, I'm talking about my context, are doing, right? Flocking, eager to absorb. Not just, you know, kind of neutral in the process, but intentionally seeking to absorb their standards and expectations of life in this world from a broken world. We've got to ask ourselves, living in a materialistic, anti-God culture, where do we get our definitions of normal from? Who is, like here in Midlinton, uh, where do we flock? Right? Uh, it could be our online world, it could be our community world, it could be our family world. Where do we flock? together with others to draw and absorb what it means to have a happy and content life. Um, uh, for me, my change came, uh, my, I guess, ASAF moment, which we're getting to, uh, from John Piper, uh, when I, I read that he, uh, incredible book sales, gives every cent of it away, he's never drawn a cent profit from his books and that the jacket he would wear, he bought, that you see him speaking all over the world in, is he bought for $5 in an op shop, right? And I'm like, I need to start filling my eye with the images of godly men and women, uh, not drawing inspiration from walking through the middle of Sydney where we were living at the time. Filling, flocking to the images of godly men and women pursuing holiness before a holy God is where I need to get my standards from. Because the consequence of listening to the demonic isn't to grow in joy, it's to lose it. Now, uh, part of the journey for us, uh, particularly younger Christians, I think, is we're tempted to think we can strike a balance. That if I just draw a little from column A and a little from column B, it'll balance itself out. I can seek holiness to this degree. But I can also seek worldliness to maybe this degree, and yet everything will still work out with the Lord. Uh, but I want to say that you can't do that. Uh, when we accept what the world accepts as desirable and normal, uh, it will begin to feel like affliction to us that we don't have what others have around us. Uh, Asaph will, says in verses 13 and 14, For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. But he wasn't. But that was his mindset. Right? Others have, you know, trying to keep a foot in both worlds, which Asaph is trying to do, right? I don't want to whinge in front of your people, God, because I don't want to hurt them. So I'm still kind of active in the temple, but I'm also desiring the things of the world. And the consequence for Asaph is I feel I'm afflicted here and punished every day. Can't keep those two things in tension in your life and expect joy and fruitfulness and healthiness to be the result. He says in, in verses 21, I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded. I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. Wounded. 
not understanding, like an animal, somebody, for me that image is evocative of somebody who is herded, right? If you're an, if you're an unthinking animal, you don't make decisions for yourself. Uh, people hit you with and guide you and make you go into certain directions and they, and they take things from you, right? You are not in control of your destiny. That's how Asaph sees himself, right? I'm being herded and shaped and moved as part of a flock by those who are really, you know, it's a negative image here of plundering us for their own joy and their own good. So if we accept their version of what is good, uh, we can swing between anger and bitterness and depression. Uh, It sees us stop being generous with our friends. It sees us stop tithing to the church. And we get very little but anxiety and bad credit card debt in return. Well, we have to break that mindset that began with believing Satan with Adam and Eve. That, that we see in ASF and that we see really in the Western church writ large. That we can have both and be healthy and filled with joy. Uh, for ASF, this moment comes in the temple. Uh, again, we don't get a lot of detail on what this looks like. Uh, he says in verses 16 and 17, When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless, right? He couldn't reconcile these things. It seems hopeless. Until he enters God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. So so Asaph is caught in this kind of angry, semi-bitter life of trying to balance both his godly life and his kind of desiring and hankering after the things of the culture around him. He goes into the temple, which is for them where the presence of God was felt uh, in the Old Testament. And we don't know what this encounter looks like for Asaph, but this is where... He meets God again, right? This is where the image of God is going to blow away any of the promises of any kind of, you know, first temple social influences or media personalities that were affecting him, right? I have an image like this from Isaiah 6 for Asaph, where Isaiah says, Yeah, I see the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled with the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. Right, That could have been Asaph going into the presence of God bitter that he doesn't have you know, the, the best looking camel parked out the front of the temple. And he goes, he sees the fullness. Yeah, that's not coming up. He sees the fullness of the glory of God and any kind of comparison has been blown to smithereens. That could have been what it was like for Asaph. It could have been another way. Uh, I kind of mentioned the prodigal sons at the start. And the older one, when he's complaining that he doesn't have a goat like the other, other one has, and the father just says to him simply and quietly, but I am always with you. All that I have is yours. I tend to think it's going to be that one for Asaph. The presence of God saying, you've got me. And all that I have is yours. Follow the logic in the rest of the psalm where he's saying, there's nothing else in this world I want now. It's not through a sheer force of effort like 
You know, in a monastery saying, I don't want that. I don't want to hide from the world. I don't want that. That's not, hasn't cured Asaph's bitter, angry soul. It was seeing the fullness of the glory of God and the promises of God saying, hey, you are my people. Everything I have is yours. I, um, so what does that mean for us? Because you, know, you, you can turn on Sunday morning, uh, certainly in Brisbane I was able to, and, and see all kinds of prosperity and ridiculous preaching going on. Um, all things, I would say, all things are ours, but obviously all things aren't ours. Um, so what, what do we cling on to? What is Asaph prioritising the, the promises of God in his life? And I look at it this way. The fullness of the glory of God uh, Jesus Christ, right, came to this world to purchase us from our sin, right? All things are mine. Is now for us, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, incorporating us into a body of believers, right? All things are mine, says, all things are yours, says God of mine. Jesus Christ, I gave you Jesus. And you want to go? I give you the Holy Spirit indwelling you, transforming you to be like Jesus Christ. I bring you into a new family who bear one another's burdens, who mourn with those who mourn, who honour those who should be honoured, who are honest with each other and you want, I don't know, a better car? Do you see how one will lead you to bitterness and anger and the other leads you into a life of unrestrained and growing joy. Asaph meets the God of the Bible. In Jesus, we've been released from Satan, right? The power of Satan. In Mark, it says we were uh, his possessions in his household. When Jesus comes in and says, I will uh, bind up the strong man, and to free his possessions, right? Because the other way of the world turns you into, doesn't give you possessions so much as turn you into one. So joy in that. The presence of God of perfect love, the perfect justice, the fullness of his created glory, the created glory that he's remaking, his power manifested in your life. So we can quench our joy. We can quench our joy uh, by neglecting our relationship with God, uh, by spending more hours and resources on pursuing the carrots that the world dangles in front of us, uh, by seeking value and contentment in material things that can only be found in God. That will just quench and drain you of your joy. But return to the Lord. If this is your story. I have no reason to believe this is any of your story. But I know it has been my story in my past. And if it is your story, spend time in the word and seek the promises of God and the fullness of the gift of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit directly in you. If you are spiritually dry at the moment, we see this through as we go through Galatians, it's not through withdrawing that you will be enriched, it's by through serving the people of God. If you're spiritually dry today, like Asaph, and a bit angry and a bit bitter, 
Find your neighbour in need and help them. And you will find the joy of the Spirit through that again. Asaph finishes like this. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. I desire nothing on earth but you. His material circumstances haven't changed, right? He's not richer now than what he was. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. In Christ you have been set free from a cycle. Set free from the lies of Satan and and having the gift of God in your life for eternity. So live in light of of that hope. Watch less TV, consume less social media. If that's not your problem, encourage others who have that problem. Spend more time in your Bible. Read Christian biographies. Spend more time together. Fill your eyes with the image bearers of God in your community, which is... Primarily, his church. Spend more time around the people of God to learn what contentment looks like. Practice generosity. It will remind you that money doesn't purchase your joy. Jesus has and is your joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word that you record for us the very real and human struggles of following you in this world, Lord. We, we want, um, like Asaph, to declare from the bottom of our hearts, Father, that you are our portion forever. There is nothing else in this world for us but the joy of you. There are good things in this world, Father, but you are the source of them all. To, be, to, to, to flourish in those things, we need you in those things, Lord. So, Father, we just pray... Uh, that we uh, recognise the values of the world for what they are. Lord, we pray we embrace your way, Father, that we uh, intentionally seek to be uh, formed and transformed into the likeness of Christ here in this town. And Jesus, we thank you for each other, that we don't do this alone, Lord, but you've incorporated us into a body, and that as a body we can encourage one another to find our source of joy in you. Lord, we pray these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.